Welcome to the More Attention, Less Deficit podcast. This episode is Restore Balance in Your Relationship, Part 1. Every relationship entails struggling to maintain balance. You can use these techniques to bring a little more balance and peace and satisfaction to your relationships. The book, More Attention, Less Deficit, Success Strategies for Adults with ADHD, is available at addwarehouse.com and pretty much everywhere else, including on the Kindle. But if you enter coupon code 19380, my zip code, at com, you'll save 25%. Good deal. I'm psychologist Dr. R.A. Tuckman, author of More Attention, Less Deficit, and Integrative Treatment for Adult ADHD, a practical, easy-to-use guide for clinicians. For more information about either book, archives of this podcast, links to past presentations, handouts, and information about upcoming teleclasses and presentations, check out adultadhdbook.com. Relationships work best when they're balanced, but keeping some semblance of balance is also one of the major struggles in most relationships. This is especially true when one of the people has ADHD and isn't able to reliably and consistently turn his intentions into reality. As a result, the other person often feels the need to make up the difference and then winds up feeling as if she's carrying more than her fair share. This imbalance likely grows as the relationship develops. There isn't much overlap of responsibilities when a couple is first dating, but there is much more when they live together, and especially once the kids show up, or a dog. As a result, what was seen as merely quirky or mildly irritating when casually dating can feel like it becomes justification for homicide when living together. Every couple faces these adjustment challenges, but couples where one person has ADHD will probably have an extra helping. One foundation of a stable and satisfying relationship is some sort of balance. This doesn't mean a perfect division of labor, where each person does exactly half of everything. You know, honey, I loaded my half of the dishwasher. Rather, it means a complementary relationship where each person takes care of his share of the responsibilities and helps out where he can. Ideally, tasks are assigned based on abilities and perhaps who hates them the least. Regardless of how everything is divided up, though, the key is that both partners feel as if they're on the same team and working together. At some stages of the relationship, one may person do more, like, for example, when her husband needs to do his weekly podcast, but there's a sense that it'll all balance out in the end, that in the long run, it all works out. Few relationships achieve perfect balance. Each partner has different abilities and different energy levels, so ultimately one person will probably wind up doing more. You can fight it, but beyond a certain point, it probably won't do much to, re- to rebalance the scales so much as cause frustration and resentment on both your parts. Rather, it's probably better to just accept the reality that every relationship is going to be a little bit imbalanced. Of course, this is easier to achieve if you feel that your partner is doing his best. It may still be less than you want, but intentions and efforts should be given a lot of credit, at least in my book. So let's talk about five strategies to make a more balanced relationship, at least. Not perfect, but more balanced. In brief, they are, number one, talk it out. Number two, different strokes for different folks. Number three, reminding is better than doing it yourself. Number four, one steps up, one steps down. 
And number five, give credit where credit is due. I'll talk about the first three now, then in the interest of keeping this episode under 20 minutes, I'll talk about parts four and, or number four and five in part two. I'll also talk a little bit about the frankly neglected topic of relationships where both people have ADHD. Even if this doesn't describe your relationship, you may still find it interesting and useful. So away we go. Number one, talk it out. Even though life is constantly evolving, it's easy to stick with the division of labor that, you know, maybe worked before, but doesn't really work as well now. Or perhaps one partner has slowly accumulated more than her fair share of tasks or activities, or maybe someone is just sick of a particular chore that has kind of historically been theirs to take care of. It can therefore be helpful to sit down occasionally to take stock of who's doing what, what isn't getting done, and perhaps what shouldn't be done anymore. Remember that if you're busy, it's very easy to not be fully aware of what your partner is doing. For example, my wife does all sorts of things around the house that I have no idea about and never even think about, partly because they get done and therefore there's nothing there to think about or to even notice. And, you know, presumably I do a few things too that, you know, she's not fully aware of. You know it's time to have one of these conversations when one of you finds yourself grumbling, or perhaps yelling, about what the other person is doing or not doing. So find a quiet moment to sit down and just review all the various tasks that are required to keep your household and family running smoothly. Discuss who's doing what and make suggestions about different ways to accomplish those goals. And maybe even, you know, have a conversation about letting some of those goals go, at least for now. Second strategy here is different strokes for different folks. We all have our individual preferences. Our partner probably has some different preferences than what we have. The trick then becomes finding a way to meet both of those sets of needs, at least mostly. It's easy, though, to get moralistic about our own desires and be dismissive about our partners. You know, for example, only slobs don't wipe off the counters, but no one really cares about what the garage looks like. Anytime you find yourself talking in absolutes like this, step back and take a look at what you're saying. If it sounds at all dismissive in your own ears, it's probably ringing loud in your partner's ears. This is a setup for him to get defensive and not really hear what you're actually saying, which is probably something closer to, it makes me nuts when there are crumbs all over the counter. Please wipe them off. These extreme positions make productive negotiation much harder. So remember that your preferences are merely preferences not moral indictments of your partner's character. Of course, as in any negotiation, you want to try to get what's important to you, but that often means giving up the things that are less important. You know, you can't have it all, much as we'd like to. So you're more likely to get what you want if you approach your partner respectfully and keep in mind what's important to her, especially remember the stuff that's just not that important to you. It's also not helpful to use other people as examples of what your partner should aspire to. For example, John always loads the dishwasher after dinner, you know, your neighbor. There are two problems with doing this. First of all, your partner can probably easily cite counterexamples from other couples. So that doesn't really move the, the discussion forward. The second problem here is that you don't live in those other houses, so you need to find a way that works for the house that you do live in. 
There are lots of ways to create a satisfying relationship. So the only thing that matters is that it works for you and your partner, not whether anyone else would be happy about it. By aspiring to do what other couples do, you limit your options and may wind up trying to cram a square peg into a round hole, especially if none of these other relationships have someone with ADHD. Although, frankly, I think this, is, this applies to everyone in every relationship. Every couple has its own challenges and therefore must find its own solutions. Third strategy, reminding is better than doing it yourself. The forgetfulness that comes from ADHD is an easy setup for the non-ADHD partner to feel that too many chores fall to her. After too many of her reminders go unheeded, she may take the path of least resistance and, you know, just do them herself, rather than expend the energy to chase down her partner. This makes sense, but is also problematic in the long run. Often the better approach is to stick with the reminders. It's a two-way street, though. The non-ADHD partner has to agree to give the reminders in a friendly, with a friendly tone and without nagging, you know, mostly. And the partner with ADHD has to agree to receive the reminders graciously and do his best to follow through, you know, mostly. Of course, in these arrangements, each person is more likely to stay friendly if the other person does too. So you're both responsible for that. Or, as I sometimes put it, you can't expect your partner to behave better than you do. If you're not doing a good job on your side, they're not going to do a good job on their side. You may find that a whiteboard, family calendar, and family meetings are all helpful for keeping things on track and therefore re require fewer verbal reminders. I talk about these in Chapter 14 of More Attention, Less Deficit, if you're interested in checking that out. It may be necessary for the non-ADHD partner to let go of certain situations and let the partner with ADHD face his own consequences. For example, not get on his case about leaving the house late when it isn't something that she's involved in. For example, a social engagement rather than a job someone might get fired from. This doesn't mean that she needs to be happy about his being late, but it does mean that she doesn't need to involve herself in it. In other words, not ensure that he gets out on time. If it doesn't concern her, she may choose to stay out of it. This is one of those pick-your-battles scenarios. If she gets on him about too many low-priority items, she then has less impact when something big comes up, you know, like getting to work on time. Therefore, for her own sake, she may want to be more selective for her own happiness. Of course, in order to leave it alone, she needs to control her anxiety over what might happen or her embarrassment over her partner's behavior. She needs to be able to see this as reflecting on him, but not on her. Otherwise, it creates a situation where she, cares, where she cares about it too much, and so the power struggle begins. Finally, there may be some activities that are, that are best delegated away, such as cleaning the house or cutting the grass. It isn't that one member of the couple couldn't do these activities. It's simply that it, it too often becomes a problem when it isn't done quickly enough, or perhaps well enough, to the other person's standards. Therefore, there may come a time when it's better to just pay someone else to do it, you know, if you have the money. Now, obviously, if you spend the money on getting the grass cut or cleaning the house, it probably means a sacrifice elsewhere when you don't have that money to spend for other things. 
but it may be money well spent. So essentially what you're buying is peace of mind or time to do other things. So as I mentioned in the beginning, I'm going to talk more about balanced relationships in the next episode. So, you know, stay tuned on that. Now, in the meantime, I did an interview with psychologist David Van Nice, who does a couple podcasts of his own. He interviewed me about ADHD in adults, um, how I became interested in this specialty, treatment options, et cetera, et cetera, in his Wise Counsel podcast. You can listen or read the transcript by going to mentalhelp.net and search for Tuckman, or by clicking through from the recordings page at adultadhdbook.com. He does a good job covering a wide range of psychology topics, so you know if you're interested, check it out and see what else he's got up there. Until next time, thanks for lending me your attention.